That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood, stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there things that have happened there these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told them, they told what had happened on the road. And how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for our time in the, the book of Luke. And Lord, as we look at this passage, not quite the end, one more week, we, we again want your Holy Spirit, Lord. We need your Spirit to guide, to strengthen us. Lord, we need eyes to see uh, that we could be kept from recognizing you in your word unless you open our eyes. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
So in this text that I just read, we see these two men, or presumably two men, uh, journeying to Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. But in a way, you could say that not only are they on a literal journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus, but they are also on a spiritual journey from unbelief, sadness, fear, to hope and confidence and, and belief. And what moves them along on this spiritual journey is the resurrected Jesus Christ himself who appears to them. Who, who gradually brings them from this place of unbelief to this place of belief. And I have a, a good friend. Um, some of you have heard him preach here at Hope, Jim Brown, um, pastor at Faith Presbyterian. And he says all the time, people change their minds in increments. So that's one of his favorite things to say. And, and I found it actually really useful in so many aspects of, of life, that, that people change their minds in increments. Very seldom do people go from point A to point B suddenly in a dramatic change. Occasionally that happens, but usually the journey of change from one place to another happens slowly. And you probably know this even from your own experience. If you are a believer today, if you consider yourself a Christian, then you can probably think back at a time when you were in unbelief. And you can see the the slow steps that Christ used to draw you from unbelief to belief. Or even if you're here and you're saying, I'm not sure about Christianity, I'm just exploring Christianity, that you can probably also see ways that you have changed your mind in increments. It could be things that have nothing to do with the Bible. But even if you're listening to this sermon or you're watching it online, you might be at the place where five, ten years ago, you would say, I didn't want to read the Bible. I didn't want to go to church. I wasn't interested in this, but there's something different that now I'm finally interested that something is changing my mind. But it's not happening all at once, but it's happening over time. And so the big question then that I want to focus on today from this passage is this, of how does Jesus change our minds? How does he change our minds in increments? And, and we see three answers that, that he, he draws near to us, he searches us, he reveals himself to us. And so the first answer of how does he begin to change our minds is that he draws near to us. And this is what we see in, in verse 13 at the beginning of the text that you heard me read. Uh, I'll read the beginning again. It says, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And so this is the first Easter. On that very day, these two disciples are traveling. There's a short distance that says seven miles, and they're, they're in conversation. They're not completely alone. They're talking about the things that have happened. They're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. They're talking about these new reports from the women that Jesus is now alive. But they're still locked in a place of doubt, of 
unbelief, they're not certain, they're sad. But it says that while they're in this place, Jesus himself draws near to them and begins to travel with them. And I don't know if you've ever seen any of those undercover boss shows where the, the boss of a company goes and you know, pretends to, to be an ordinary worker and, and goes alongside all of his employees. And so in a way, this is the, the ultimate undercover boss situation where Jesus is undercover with these disciples. It says that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And we don't know if Jesus disguised himself in some way or somehow it was just spiritually in their unbelief that they couldn't see him for who he was, even though he was in front of them. We don't know, but one way or another, they didn't recognize Jesus, even as he's drawing near to them. And this is often what can happen to, to you, to me as well in our lives, that we're on this, this spiritual journey. Our minds are being changed in increments over time, and we hear the report of what Jesus did of his life, his death, his resurrection. We, we, we hear about what Easter means. We hear about what Christmas means, what these celebrations are about. And maybe we even, in that, if we saw what was going on behind the scenes, would realize that Jesus is drawing near to us, that he's drawing near to us in his word, he's drawing near to us in the sacraments, he's drawing near to us in Christian fellowship, but one way or the, another, we do not recognize it. We say, I'm just reading another ancient book, or I'm just going to another religious gathering. This is very ordinary. But then all along, Jesus is drawing near to us. And, and that's the first way that he begins to change our minds. He draws near to us. But then second, he also searches us. He questions us. That's what we see in verse 17. Jesus asks these disciples a question. He says, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And in a way, this, this question reminds me of the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve had sinned against God, eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that it says that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and that Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And you think humanity has just fallen into sin. They've, they've broken this covenant, this fellowship with their creator. And would he come in, a, in, a, in wrath and, and fire and flame? Because it says in scripture that God is a consuming fire. But no, that's not how God comes to Adam and Eve, that, that he comes to them gently and he comes to them with a question. He says, where are you? And he didn't ask the question because he thought, he didn't know where they are, right? That God clearly knew where Adam and Eve were. So why does he ask a question of Adam and Eve? And, and the answer is that he's drawing them out. He's, he's drawing out where they are, their, their, their heart before God. And even in instruction in the church, with the kids, earlier this morning we were working on simple catechism questions that are in the beginning of your, your bulletin. And, and the first one was, who made you? And the answer is God. What else did God make? God made all things. And, and catechism is a way of instructing adults and children by asking questions. And it's not that the person asking the question 
doesn't know the answer to the question. But yet there's something about a question that, that draws us in, draws us out. And that's what we see God doing in Genesis 3. That's what we see Jesus here doing with these disciples. He's saying, what are you talking about on the road? He knows, but he's, he's drawing out their hearts. And this is also what God does to us. And it may not be an audible question, but when we read the Bible, we confront questions. Questions about God, questions about ourselves. It, it draws us out. It, it will elicit a response from us. And in our text, look at how these disciples respond to this question in verse 17. It says, they stood still looking sad. And so the, the first response is just body language. That there, there was something in this question that, that got right to their heart, that they, they were sad. They, they didn't necessarily want to explain to this man what had happened. It was painful. They didn't want to relive this. But then if you, if you look again at your Bible, they also answer in words in verse 18. It says, then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these in these days? And, and, and I just love the, the humor of that. He's saying, where have you been? <laughs> you know, what rock have you been hiding under? Everybody knows what has happened. How could you possibly be out of the loop? This is what everyone is talking about. And of course, Jesus is the only one who does know what happened fully. But yet Jesus is, is drawing them out. And so he says again, what things? So Jesus asks a second question. And he knows the answer. And so they begin to tell him. They, they talk about Jesus of Nazareth, that he was a man who is mighty and, and word and deed. They they thought he was a prophet. They, they thought that he was the hope of Israel, but that hope had been shattered in the crucifixion, that, that he was dead as far as they knew. But yet there was this, this very slim just glimmer of hope. Maybe Jesus is alive because of the report that we've heard from the women. But they still say, well, this is too good to be true. And that's why they look sad because they still don't believe it, even though they're beginning to hear the report. They, they are saying, this would be amazing news if it were true, but there's no way that it's true. And I think that that is often a stop along our spiritual journey as well. Maybe you can think back in your own walk, coming to know the Lord, where there was the point when you were hostile to the things of God, where you were angry, you were sad, you read the Bible and it made you feel guilty. It made you feel ashamed. Maybe there was pressure from friends or, or family. But then suddenly there's a change and you read the Bible. You hear the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And you see the offer that, that it's a gift, that all you do is repent and trust in Jesus. And he gives you everything. <laughs> he adopts you into the family of God. He forgives you. Uh, he, he gives you the, the promise that isn't based on what you have done, but what Christ has done for you. And you say, wow, that would be really good news if it were true. 
And I think that that is one of the key moments for somebody as they are exploring Christianity, is when they go from thinking this is a, a story of bad news about rules and judgment to saying, no, this is a story of good news about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a, a story of good news about hope and, and salvation and, and promise. And, and people begin to say, if only that were true, that would be amazing. But still, it's too good to be true. I can't believe it yet. But it, this searching is part of the process of Christ moving us along from unbelief to belief, that he draws near to us, he searches us, but then third and finally, he reveals himself to us. This is what we see in verse 25. Jesus says, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And you think about the response from the disciples. This guy's just been asking questions. And all of a sudden he calls them foolish ones. O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Was it not necessary that Christ should that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And I don't know if you've had the experience of watching a movie with a twist ending. I tried to think of examples, but then I realized I'd give away the twist ending in any examples in case you hadn't seen the movie. But I'm sure you've seen movies with a twist ending where you didn't see it coming, something happens at the end, you say, whoa, didn't see that one coming. But then you go back and you watch the, the movie a second time, and suddenly you realize, oh, that was pointing, oh, oh, that happened. Oh, how did I not see that was the ending? It was so clear the entire time, but somehow I missed it. And that's the, the response of these disciples as well, where they say, we, we grew up reading the Bible. We grew up in a in Jewish community that, that valued Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. But yet somehow they had missed what it's all about. They had never truly understood the scriptures. And so Jesus, as they're journeying along, sits down for this amazing once-in-a-lifetime Bible study with Jesus himself. And just imagine that sitting down and Jesus walking through the Old Testament step by step, explaining how it's all fulfilled in himself, that, that Jesus is the main character of the Bible from, from Genesis to Revelation, that it's all pointing to him to one degree or another. And I actually think that, that as much as we wish that we were there, that we could hear the teaching, we actually have it in the New Testament, that over and over again in the New Testament, it shows how the Old Testament was fulfilled. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. Every book in the New Testament, to one degree or another, is touching on this theme. Look, here are this, this corpus of holy scripture, and look at how Jesus is the completion. Jesus is the, is the logic behind it all along. And you think of all of the ways that, that Jesus is fulfilled in the Old Testament, that you, you look at the sacrifices, and Jesus is the, the true sacrifice. You look at, to, the, to the promise to, to Adam and Eve that, the, that there would be the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And you say, that's Jesus. You look to the, the promise to Abraham that the, the seed, this offspring, would, would bless the nations, would be a blessing. You know that Jesus is the one who, who blesses the nations. You Look at the promise to, to David 
that he would always have a son on the throne, and you realize, oh, this is the great promise, that, that the, the true prince of peace was not Solomon, the son of David, but it's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ descended from David. You look at the, the prophets, the prophecies, the, the suffering servant, the, the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. And even the, the commands in the scripture, you begin to realize, wait a second, all of these commands are pointing to Jesus because we can't perfectly keep all the rules. Roseanne read for us the uh, last six, ten commandments, the second table of the law. Love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's in the Old Testament. But yet we can't perfectly fulfill it. Jesus fulfills it. He is the logic. He is the end point. And so today, if you want to see Jesus, then look no further than the Bible, the 66 books of the scripture. That is where we find Christ. And, and it almost feels circular because if you try to find Jesus apart from the Bible, you'll never find him. And if you try to read the Bible apart from, from Jesus, you'll never understand it. But yet when we search the scriptures, knowing that Jesus is the center, that it's ultimately about him, suddenly our eyes are opened. Suddenly we can say with the disciples in verse 32 of our text, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures, that there's this, this burning in our hearts. If God is working as we read the scripture, he's saying there's something here. God is speaking. God is revealing himself in his word because the apostle Paul tells us all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work, that there is no good work of the Christian life that we're equipped for apart from the scriptures, the word of God. And so we see here Jesus revealing himself through the Bible, through the scriptures. But then building on that, we see him actually revealing himself another way in verse 28. It says, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. And I, and I love that little detail because I think it gives insight into the character of Jesus. Often in movies, Jesus has such a flat personality. Jesus does not have a flat personality. He is a dynamic person with a sense of humor that, I mean, he's, he's here, he, he's, it's almost a joke. He's pretending to go further, and again, to draw them out, to elicit this response from them. He's not lying, but it, it's, it's, there's humor, but there's also this sense of care for the hearts of these disciples. And it says that they urged him strongly, stay, saying, stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in and stayed with them. <clears throat> and when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to him. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. So as you look at this meal, you say, what does this meal remind you of? When was the last time that the disciples celebrated a meal with Jesus? When did he take bread and break it and bless it and give it to his, his disciples? 
that it was, it was the Last Supper, the, the institution of the Lord's Supper. And that's what Jesus is doing, that, that they're, they're sitting down for this, this sacramental meal, celebrating the Lord's Supper with the Lord Jesus himself there. We even read in verse 35, as the disciples are explaining this to the other apostles, they said that he was made known to us in the breaking of bread. And before COVID, we, we celebrated the Lord's Supper weekly. We're actually going back to that. Part of it was the, as everyone was buying the little cups that were you know, COVID safe, there was a shortage of them, so we couldn't do it um, every week. But we are going back to weekly celebration of the, of the Lord's Supper. And, and part of the reason that we have valued weekly celebration of the Lord's Supper as a church, uh, again, before all of the, the shutdowns, is not that we believe that he is bodily present here, not that this meal is what saves us, that we're saved only by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, but yet Christ gave us this meal as a, a means of grace to, to strengthen us, to, to, to bring us to a place of confidence and, and trust in him. And isn't it interesting how, how Jesus expounds the scriptures to these disciples, and then he sits down and confirms the word through the celebration of the Lord's Supper with them, through this, this meal. And that's the pattern of the church as well in its worship throughout the ages, that we, we, we hear the word of God, our hearts burn within us. We see Christ in the scriptures. We, we hear Christ speak in words as the gospel is proclaimed. But then we get the word of God in a picture before us in the Lord's Supper, and, and that, that just as Christ is made known to us in the words of scripture, He's also made known to us in the breaking of bread. And of course, we often think about this strengthening believers, that this is a meal for believers. But this is also a meal that, that works in the hearts of people who are still exploring what Christianity is about. That some of you might be in the place today of saying, I'm still in that, that journey along the way. I may be more open to Christianity than I was a while before, but I'm, I don't still, still don't know if I'm there. And so as you see this meal unfold, we, we encourage you actually not to partake of it if you have not repented and trusted in Jesus. And, and the, the reason is never to exclude anyone, but actually to guard you against hypocrisy of going through the motions of something that doesn't represent what you believe. The Bible actually says that to, to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner without Believing in the Lord is to eat and drink judgment on yourself. But that doesn't mean that, that what you see in the meal has no impact. That there is something about, as, as some go forward, saying, I'm, I'm not better, but I'm actually acknowledging that I'm worse. And I'm taking this meal because I'm trusting in Jesus for salvation. Seeing that, I think, brings us this line between belief and unbelief. And, and it makes us examine, where am I before the Lord? And seeing Christ, as even as others are breaking bread, watching it as part of the work of God in, in softening our hearts. And so again, if you're, if you're here, you haven't trusted in Jesus, we encourage you to wait. We also encourage you to wait if you're at the place of, of saying, you know, I'm beginning to believe, but I've never made that public by being a member of a church that preaches the gospel, or you're bound by the action of another church from taking the meal, we encourage you to wait. Same for, for small children who haven't yet made a profession of faith. We encourage them um, to wait. And, and again, the purpose is not to exclude you, children, 
uh, but to also to, for you to see others partaking and to have this longing for Christ to be made known in his word and the breaking of bread, that, that I want this, I want Jesus, I want to know him and trust him and partake in him. But for the rest, you don't have to be a member of Hope Church. You don't have to be a member of a Presbyterian church. But to be one who has repented, acknowledge your sin, trusting in Jesus, looking to the, to the Lord Jesus who lived the perfect life we could never live, died the sacrificial death that we deserve to die, rose again from the dead, appeared to the disciples, and is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. That, that really, it's the faith that we profess in the Apostles' Creed. And so if you, if you turn to, to page 8 in your order of worship, you see the Apostles' Creed. This is the, the summary of the faith from the early apostles that, that we hold as we come to this meal. So please read with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Because on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you'll proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so as usual, uh, we can come forward in no particular order. Just come when you're ready. And you can take one of the cups. Uh, return to your chair if you need gluten-free. It looks like this on the other side. Uh, and then when, once you're in your chair... Everybody's seated. <clears throat> Pardon me. Then we'll uh, take it together. And then you can drop the cup in the trash can there in the back by the table on your way out. There's hand sanitizer. Um, but let's pray together before we come to this meal. <clears throat>